Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good evening. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. So today is a really special episode because this is actually the first time Joey and I are bringing on a guest to the Homegrown Podcast. And I couldn't think of a better topic to cover first because this is something that Joey and I both love. We consume regularly. We uh, would say that we, you know, look for high quality versions of this ingredient, but it's honestly not something we know a ton about. Um, And so I'm personally really excited to learn today about coffee from Derek, uh, who is with Yield Coffee Roasters in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, you know, before we jump into this conversation, I do want to just preface and say there's a lot of opinions about coffee and the wholeness, the the wellness, holistic wellness world. Um, And I I understand that. There's some people that say you should drink your bone broth instead of coffee. Let's, let's, let's cut out coffee. You'll, you'll feel better. And then there's other people who say, you know, actually you can consume coffee. Um, let's just make sure it's under the right terms. Let's make sure, you know, you have a, 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 you're not drinking it on an empty stomach and you have some nourishment in you and, you know, maybe a little bit of raw cream in there too. So, um, I definitely want to honor everyone's personal decision to drink or not to drink coffee. Joey and I drink coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> so this is why we, I love want, we want to have the conversation. <laughs> and um, honestly, it's it's also one of those ingredients that I think so often people are confused about the sourcing and where that comes from and like who's actually growing these coffee beans and, and where are they grown. So um, Derek, thank you so much for joining us on the Homegrown Podcast tonight. Uh, we're super excited. So welcome. Yes, Liz, Joey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Very excited to jump into this and thank you for allowing me to be the first guest. Oh my gosh, it's an honor. We're excited. Um, So I would love to just start by having you share a little bit about how you got into coffee and uh, tell us a little bit about yield as well. Yeah, so my background is as a pediatric registered nurse. Um, I worked at Cincinnati Children's for five years in the cardiac ICU there. Um, During this time, I'd always loved coffee. I would consider myself a coffee lover and drinking it numerous times every day, had a lot of brewing equipment at home. Uh, My older brother is an environmental engineer. Mm. And so he was actually doing a lot of work in Ethiopia, which is a big country of origin for coffee. And so he was really the one that turned what I liked about coffee into this true love of coffee and the people involved in the coffee industry. So how Yield was born was really this desire to give back upstream. So what I was dealing with in the ICU were a lot of um, situations that we couldn't really control what happened. A lot of it is uh, genetic defects and there's not really, you can do anything upstream for those. But what I was seeing around the world is there are really easy interventions that we could do if we think upstream. Mm. And so yield is an agricultural term, and it just means that we get to plant these seeds so that other people get to thrive. Wow. I love that. I've never heard that backstory. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. That's really awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so how, how long have you been in this coffee world uh, through yield? Yeah, so we've been going for about seven years now. Okay. So our first project before yield was yield uh, was at a family-style orphanage in Tanzania. Mm. Uh, so they're right on the equator, right at Lake Victoria. 
um, what they had set up was a way for the orphanage to get off of like Western donations. Mm. So a lot of ministries, a lot of missions are supported 100% from people donating to it. So a sustainable model is how can we be self-sustaining by growing the food that we need, by having education on site, a small medical clinic on site. So what they needed was a greenhouse mm. so they could produce double the amount of crops and then take those crops to market and then hold back a little bit of the profit. And then in two years, they'd have another greenhouse. And then in one year, they'd have three greenhouses and it would just continue kind of the snowball effect. Um, and so we were doing that uh, as I was a student at UC, at University of Cincinnati. And then my older brother and his wife moved to Houston. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of shut down for a little bit. After we had raised the funds, the greenhouse is a go and has been completed in Tanzania. Um, but I wanted to continue with coffee and coffee roasting and the science behind that. And so my two best friends and I found some equipment uh, on a shoestring <laughs> budget. It was like $10 and some change. Um, bought a coffee roaster. My parents opened up their barn that we converted into our roastery. Oh, fine. And so five years later, it's grown tremendously. The impact has been huge and we're, it just feels like we we're just getting started. Wow. Those first batches of coffee that you made, I mean, were they any good? Like, were, <laughs> I'm curious, like, was it, was it, uh, was it like a, you buy good beans from good growers and the coffee's easy or, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by that. Yeah, that's a great question. So when you start with a high quality product, which we would call like the green beans, which is coffee that's been grown and then shipped to the U.S., um, that is unroasted beans, and that's rated on a scale of zero to 100. Oh, wow. And anything above 80 is what they would call specialty grade. So if you see something that's like specialty coffee, uh, it's really just based on this grading score. So people have to take a lot of class and a lot of education to become what's known as a Q grader. And a Q grader will be someone that's at origin or at the farm, at the export imports on both sides. So if it's coming from Colombia, there'll be a Q grader grading it before it gets shipped. And then when it um, we ship all of our coffees to New Jersey. And so then there's someone there Q grading it to make sure that the quality is still there. And then it comes to us and then we're grading it as well. And then we go through the roasting process. Wow. What does that grading look like? What are they looking for? Um, a lot on the, uh, um, is just, there's just different defects that can be found in coffee. So you can see like the consistency of the size of the bean. Mm -hmm. You can see the tasting notes after it's been roasted. You're looking for these different notes from specific regions or astringency, some bitterness, um, if it's sour. So there's different things that you're looking for when it's green and unroasted versus when it's roasted. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so the first cups you made. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The first, the first roast, the first cups. I mean, I imagine you were all right. standing around, right? And yeah, yeah. And we're very excited. A new machine for us, which has been passed down from probably four other roasting companies. Oh and so, uh, yeah, there was quite a few batches that we threw away because quality is always something yeah. that's paramount to us. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, quite a few batches were thrown away, were burnt. 
Uh, luckily, not, nothing ever caught on fire. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, definitely some burnt coffee and just a learning process, which I love. And coming from a, a scientific background is always, okay, well, this is our kind of hyth- hypothesis. If we do it this way, if we increase the temperature at this point in time, uh, so everything is graphed out. If you can think about that, of you really have time versus temperature, mm-hmm. and so you're starting at room temperature. Uh, the green beans are you're putting them in a roasting machine. There's kind of I call them vital signs for the coffee, um, and you really want most roast between 10 minutes and 12 minutes of time, and then from zero. D- from from room temperature to about 410 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. So it's just kind of how does that graph work out mm-hmm. in the roasting machine? You're going to pull out different notes. Interesting. Wow. That's uh, that's awesome. I, I'd imagine if I was making coffee, um, it would be, you know, we, we were just talking about this, weighing or not weighing our our coffee as we put it into the Chemex. I just imagine I'll get that roaster machine out and I'd be throwing beans in there. Yeah, you just I'd, crank it. To and the I'd, just be, I'd be just toasting them up, right? And I'd be yeah. like, they look, they look pretty good, no. right? And then, yeah, that would definitely be the wrong approach, though. So, uh, how big is a is a coffee roaster? Like, did this take up a table? I'm trying to get a visual for. Yeah, what this so it like. it depends how big really of a coffee roasting company you are. So they can come really tabletop models, which is more for samples. So mm-hmm. if you're at like Origin, you could sample it there. Or sometimes even coffee producers send us um, about three ounces of coffee unroasted. So we'll use our sample machine, which is about the size of a microwave. Okay. Our machine that we have is a, a little bit bigger than an average refrigerator. Oh, okay. And so that is six kilos. So it does about 12 pounds of coffee at a time. But I mean, when you get to the industrial scale, you could roast 250 pounds at a time. Oh, wow. Um, and those are 15-minute cycles. So that's 1,000 pounds an hour. Our output is probably about 40 pounds an hour. So yeah. we spend a lot of time behind the machine, but we do love that because it's an artistic thing yeah. to be able to control a lot of these variables and then trying to make it consistent from batch to batch. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I, I would love for you to walk us through like because honestly, I had to I had to Google what a coffee plant looked like, yeah. I, and the red berries, right? Yeah. The yeah. red or white. So I want you to walk us through what that looks like from seed, because it's mm-hmm. a seed in the middle of the fruit, right? From seed to cup. Like, yeah. Give us the whole process. So I've broken it down into really ten steps. So okay. most coffee can only be grown uh, in there's 52 countries in the world that coffee can be grown in. So. Um, and the U.S. is not one of those, right? Do we have any growers? It's, it's borderline. So there's uh, one farm in San Diego oh, no way. that is able to technically grow coffee. And then <laughs> it, I don't believe it's very good and it's hyper expensive. Um, it's the only U.S. grown coffee? Besides Hawaii, if you count Hawaii. Okay, interesting. So Hawaii um, grows it and then a lab at University of California, Davis, I believe, they have a program and they're growing coffee in their lab indoors indoors yeah Yeah. okay okay so 52 countries countries are able to really produce coffee okay um it starts in the nursery level and planting and so you have the seed which we know 
as the coffee bean, but mm -hmm. it's really a seed mm -hmm. inside of what's known as a coffee cherry, which does look like a bright red cherry when it's ripe. Is so it edible? Can you eat that? You can. Okay. And, and you may have heard of that. It's called cascara. So that was a big thing that Starbucks pushed like two years ago, cascara tea. So it's taking that fruit skin, that pulp, uh, and then soaking it in water or ha adding hot water to it and being able to have tea out of it. Oh, it's, it's really sour, so not a lot of people have taken to it. But the good news is most farmers use that as organic inputs to their crop. Oh, so yeah. they'll actually have a huge compost pile and the next year's season that will be spread throughout all the trees. So there's a use for it. There's definitely a use for it. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you find a lot of reusable things. Uh, most coffees grown in developing countries and they just have so much knowledge of how to use basic things yes. really, really well. Uh, things that we think we would need to buy that on Amazon right. or be hyper specialized and they're taking pieces of rubber in making things work. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to see. Um, so this seed is growing from a young plant to fruit bearing age is about three to five years. So it oh, depends wow. on the varietal, um, but it does take a bit of time from planting to actually getting um, like a, a coffee berry. And those shrubs grow about eight to 10 feet high and they're spaced in rows about five feet apart. So mm -hmm. the different parts of the world have different spacing requirements, but that's usually pretty standard. And then on top of that, they will produce for 30 to 50 years. And so most producers or farmers have their say two to 10 acres. We, we, like to purchase coffee from very small scale producers because it's making more impact for them and their family and their community. And so they have two to 10 acres. Usually they maybe subdivide that into 20 to 30 different plots. And then each year they're um, replanting certain plots um, just to make sure that they have everything flowing. And then most farms have their own nurseries. And so they're growing their own plants to plant back into their own ground mm -hmm. and keep the whole cycle going. Yeah. So are they, and so I assume they're ripping up producing crop then to replant. Yes. Yeah. Usually so as it's a kind of, yeah, the at the, at the end of their life cycle, they'll replant in that same spot. Okay, uh, and then a lot of farms will enter crop other plants that help have this symbiotic relationship with the coffee plants yeah. and also with the soil as well. What are those? Uh, lots of fruit trees, banana trees, um, anything that produces a lot of shade as well um, helps have a higher quality product. Okay, that's fascinating because I was reading about coffee today and because I, I always like to read both sides of every topic, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the people who are very like, coffee is blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're, they're mostly speaking about <laughs> industrialized coffee, right? They're talking right. about mass produced. And so I was reading an article and it was talking about, you know, traditionally coffee was grown in these like really shaded areas with high biodiversity of all different mm -hmm. sorts of plants, which is exactly what you said without me even having to say it. And then they're like, but nowadays people are... Um, 
plowing huge fields and they're having these like giant plantations and there's no shade then they have to like use a bunch of chemical whatever so tell us like what's the shade piece there and what what's so important about that process and it sounds like with two to ten acres I mean that's a small plot of land um yeah, I, I guess what's the, um, it's probably obvious to someone who, who grows, but I don't know. Why why grow in shade? Yeah, so a lot of it has to do with the land that they own or have bought. A lot of it is passed down through generations or families um, are getting into it and staying committed to growing high-quality coffee. You're not wrong on the industrial side. I do believe that is happening. Specialty coffee only represents about 3% of all the coffee grown. Wow. And so that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And we definitely feel like we're the underdogs or the whole industry is an underdog to global coffee industry. So Mm -hmm. specialty in and of itself is moving the ball forward. A lot of the coffee that we're able to purchase is grown on a steep mountainside. And that's just kind of the climate that it's grown in where it's grown so a lot of it's hand-picked every farm besides the one in brazil it's all hand-picked and so that's part of the process as well is that numerous people come through and they don't pick it all at once it's a process uh, from about six to 12 weeks you're going to go through each section three to four times and only pick the ripe cherries. Oh yeah. And the shade really helps with moisture retention as well. And so it's all it's all about getting the best crop that you can to have the best quality. And a lot of natural processes actually allude to that. Um, so that's something that in in the industrial side you may be able to produce more per acre but it's going to be a low quality product Mm -hmm. and also you're going to degrade the forest. And so that's something that's important to us is a sustainability aspect, um, which isn't a unique to yield thing. That's pretty much all of specialty coffee. Everyone's very passionate about how can we make the earth better? Yeah. It's almost like you guys are this small segment of people who love the craft of it and you're trying to protect that. And you also, like you've done the work to connect with these farmers, you've seen them, you, um, and I want you to get into that too, obviously, but, um, yeah, you're like the, the small coffee advocates in the world. I liken it to like the raw dairy farmers facing global, you know, dairy production, like (laughs) the people who are like, no, there's, there's really good quality here. And, uh, and, and we, you, they're passionate. They're, um, some of the most humble people I know. And I feel like that's probably the same. Anytime you have that, like, concentrated group of people so so we were, we were talking about the like hey cherry to cup of joe right the the, the steps um curious to kind of pick up where we left off we're, 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 yeah we're, we're, we had made, we made it to what the step one i think step one <laughs> we took a couple <laughs> side steps yeah, yeah. i'm sorry um so then you have harvest um most origins only have one harvest a year so coffee is an annual crop columbia is really the outlier there and has two cro- two crops a year. Um, and that is important because certain times of the year, um, different parts of the world are harvesting while the others are planting and it flips back and forth. So there's kind of a, a schedule or a timeline 
of when we know these coffees will arrive at port in New Jersey and when we'll get them. So from, from harvest to arriving in our hands to roast them is probably a six month process. And it looks like harvesting, which happens for three months out of the year. And a lot of families are involved in that. A lot of the farms that we work with have childcare provided for the kids, education, medical clinics, and provide breakfast and lunch. And then the fruit that I was alluding to that are grown intercropped with the coffee, um, Diego and his life, Gloria, Nicaragua, they let their workers take that fruit to market. And so now they have an extra income as well That's doing awesome. that. That's awesome. Um, then you have processing. So after the cherries are picked, they're processed. And two of those methods are called a wash process, which is probably what we're most familiar with, and then a natural process. So this process is just all about how do we get that cherry um, off and get to the actual beans or the seeds inside. So for the washed, it basically goes through a big cheese grater and that will strip off the, that cascara, that skin. And then it gets soaked in these water channels and a little bit of fermentation happens there where um, some microbials will eat some of the sugars on the, the outside of the coffee seed and then it goes to drying. So drying, depending where it's at and the moisture level, it takes about seven to 14 days. And that's usually out on big concrete patios and it has to be turned every 30 minutes or else it can really build up and get moldy as well. Um, which is an issue that we can talk about in a little bit. Yeah, Pia. So I threw up a question box on my Instagram of like, hey, we're talking about coffee. I didn't say who we were talking with, but I said, you know, submit your questions. Like 98% of them were like, what about the mold? Yeah. So if you want to talk about that now, go ahead and dive in. Or if you want to carry on your sequential. Hey, let's, let's hit the mold while, we, while, yeah. while, while we're here. Get, <laughs> it's hot. Get it while it's hot. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that... Um, is is honestly a marketing thing um there isn't many coffees that you'll find on the shelves or from roasters that has any traceable amounts of mold Mm -hmm. at all i think it was thrown out there as as a way to certify something that maybe doesn't need to be certified interesting um but not to say that that it couldn't happen i think if you're using a high quality product um, and any reputable roaster would know when the green bean comes in, whether it's moldy or not moldy. It, it would be very evident on how you smell the beans, how you sample it, when you're roasting it, going through that process. So in, in every roaster, if they had a sample like that, would never contract it. We would find another way to support the farmer without buying the beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the roasting process would then, if there was any trace amounts would negate that as well. Cause mm-hmm. you're going up to 400 and 14 degrees, sometimes 430. And again, then we're tasting it. And if it doesn't meet our quality standards, then it's not going out to customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's a little over drawn out and I don't believe that that needs to be something that 
you think or worry about too much. It's the utmost concern. Now, yeah. take me back to the process. You were saying that like, as it's drying out, yeah, that it's, it's in the sun. Yeah. And it's on, you said like concrete, concrete patios, patios. Yeah. which would be not conducive for mold growth at all. And even the fermentation process yeah. that you said takes place within like the pulps mm -hmm. also like not conducive. Now is it in bags at this point? Not in bags. No. So it is just laid out. It's almost looks golden cause there's still a layer of parchment on it. So this is the parchment process. So we're trying to get it before it ships here to the States down to about 11% moisture mm. content by weight. Okay. Um, and so it price starts off about 20%. And so it takes a while in the sun and at night they're turning it every 30, 30 minutes. So and during the night. Yeah. So they have wow. these big rakes, uh, these, uh, my wife, Hannah and I did it when we were down in Costa Rica, but these big rakes that you use to push and then you walk back and forth amongst these giant patios. Did you take the night shift? No, no. <laughs> I worked too many of those at the hospital. I was so. going to say, either you're used to that or you're like, never again. Never again, yeah. That's fascinating. Okay, good. I'm glad we touched on that mold piece um, and, the, and the drying out process because to me that makes sense. And again, I think it's one of those things where it's like, has it been detected in large, massively produced? I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know. I haven't done the research on it. But it makes sense that in this specialty realm with mm -hmm. as much care and attention as you're, as you're saying, it's not like mold is invisible. Like mm -hmm. mold is, has a sign, like a visual, it has a smell, it has a taste, like, you know. So thank you for speaking to that because yeah. I think that that's helpful. So yeah, yeah, so we're drying the beans. Drying the beans. So after we get down to a certain moisture content, then we go to milling. And milling is usually done off of the farm and really think of a giant warehouse where a bunch of farmers, a bunch of producers are bringing their crop. And now it still stays a single lot. So it doesn't get intermixed with the other producers. Um, so there's a lot of organization that happens here, but it'll go through certain machines, um, depending where we are in the world, but that have some type of laser scanning. And so the beans come out on a conveyor and then it'll be able to pinpoint which beans don't match the size that we're going through. And it will push those off to the side. Um, it'll put them through a grading machine. And so that's sizing them up as well. It can detect how much moisture is in certain lots. And so this is a process where now it's actually going to go into those burlap coffee sacks. Mm. So if you're fam familiar with that, you've probably seen them at a cafe somewhere before, um, gone down a slide on them before. <laughs> um, that's kind of where it happens is the milling process. And this happens in a region that's a coffee growing region. After the milling process, mm -hmm. that's when it's put in the, the bags. And then the exporting happens a few weeks after that. So there's a little bit of rest or lag period from the milling to exporting. So a lot of that has been backlogged the past two years. Yeah. Um, but that process, and usually the coffee producing countries have some water access. There's a few in Eastern Africa that then have to go through other countries to make it to their shipping destinations. So that increases the price point a little bit. Cause these are all coming by boat. Yeah. Yeah. 
so most of it's coming by boat. Very expensive coffees can come by by air, but most of it comes on the large cargo ships, large cargo containers. So uh, think of a semi truck. That's about forty thousand pounds of coffee in okay. the back of a container. Interesting. Um, and so that will come for us to Cincinnati. It'll come from the country of origin to usually New Jersey. New Jersey by train to Cincinnati and then Cincinnati like truck to our warehouse and then our warehouse to the roastery. So there's a lot of hands that touch it just to get the raw product to our roastery. Dang. That's cool. What, what's so, and, and I know I keep pausing us during the process here, but um, what's the shelf life? So when you receive the, the green beans, uh, that show up at your warehouse and you take them to the roastery. What's the shelf life life on those? That's a great question. So experts will say there's not really an expiration. Hmm. They don't necessarily go bad. What does happen is they're not as vibrant. And so we try to buy everything seasonality wise of we're only going to buy this much coffee for this year. And that way, as soon as the next crop hits, we'll be ready to take that on. You don't have hordes of coffee. Laying so around. we don't have hordes of coffee laying around. Um, so some roasters do do that. And probably like some of the bigger coffees that you'd get at the grocery store that are really cheap are buying past year's crop um, because you could say it's on clearance. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting it half off, but it's just not as vibrant. Is it bad for you? No it's just not going to be everything that it could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. I do wonder, like, so I had to, we usually get coffee, just like the stuff we drink on a regular basis through, um, like an online market. I had to buy coffee at Kroger, which like is hard because the selection is slim and it was like $15 for a bag. Mm -hmm. And then, but I'm like, how are they selling coffee also for like dollars for a bag it's wild the different price and sometimes people are like oh they're just jacking up the price because they can but even hearing you talk about like from seed to cup there's so many people involved in that process so i'm curious like of the farms that you guys serve and maybe you can run through like which countries you're sourcing from but like have you visited all of them and and what does that look like and how did you even get in contact with them yeah, so we've visited probably half of them so far. Obviously, the past two years have really limited yeah. international travel. Um, but the internet has been a beautiful thing for a lot of reasons. And we're able to connect with most of our farmers through social media. Oh, cool. Uh, which is remarkable to, to know that we could talk to two of our producers in Honduras mm -hmm. at any time and have them on FaceTime as well. And oh, that's cool. Same with uh, our producers in Colombia that we work with. We're FaceTiming, emailing probably once a month just about things going on there, things happening here. And so we're working in, in Nicaragua. We've been down to the farm three times there to see um, Diego and Gloria, and they've actually been here to Ohio Oh, cool! Um, twice now, I believe. So, well, and what did they think when they came here? Were they excited? Uh, they were very excited, yeah, to see everything. And, uh, and they, I think their son currently lives in Houston, so okay. they do get to the States every now and again. Cool. Um, but it's just really neat to have a relationship again with them and you can look them up on Facebook and they'll befriend anyone. Oh, so, cute. Yeah. um, we work very closely with them 
uh, we also source from from Guatemala, so we're gonna go down there in November. Cool. Is the is the plan, and then Ethiopia is a little bit harder to travel to, so that should happen next year, and hopefully be there at harvest time. So that's oh, the most awesome. exciting is being at harvest when it either first starts or as they're wrapping up because there's always big celebrations on right. the farm because mm -hmm. uh, it just means that money's coming in and this is something that they've worked so hard to produce and so it's just giant celebration yeah like, so that's that's super cool if they're i have two questions for you if if they if they're only harvesting harvesting once a year are they only getting paid that one time a year like how does the cash flow business work for the for the farmer yeah cash flow is a tricky thing for a lot of producers so how we have things set up and i i do believe this is a, a great way of doing it we'll contract with the farmer so off the top of my head i, I don't know but maybe with diego and gloria we need a hundred to 200 bags and each bag is 152 pounds. So this is how much coffee we're gonna need for this season or for this year, for 12 months. So when we then purchase it from them, we'll pay them in monthly installments. Okay. Uh, and then some producers will just pay them as we need it. Um, and so it's like, hey, um, Sh Shaddy in Colombia, I'm gonna need another 10 bags and then he'll send us an invoice, we'll pay it right then. But we've already had contracted out, we're gonna use 132 bags from Columbia this mm -hmm. year. So they're able to forecast that, and then they're able to kind of manage cash flow on their end, because they know exactly when we're gonna pay or when we're gonna use the coffee um, that they'll send our way. Um, but that's, that's one of the important things for specialty coffee, and not every farmer is able to do that and that's where a lot of unhealthy leverage is applied with bigger corporations mm -hmm. to smaller farmers and they call that the farm gate price and that's really when you're producing a lot of good coffee or any product for that means but you don't have distribution a bigger company can come and then just buy it for cents on the dollar um, because you don't really have much of a choice because you don't have the financing available. Or the infrastructure to ship, you know, worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, I want to, this is the third question that I just thought of, but I see the terms uh, fair trade, mm -hmm. um, responsibly sourced, um, ethically sourced. I mean, I, there's, there's like a, a handful of a handful, various terms yeah, and yeah. I'm always like who who's using these words like what what yeah. is actually responsibly sourced and and what how is this sort of mass manufactured coffee actually like regenerative right so mm -hmm. what does that mean are there actual industry standards or are there just marketing terms that people are using or is it a mixture of both like what does that look like yeah this is this question is asked a lot and I, I think there's a lot of confusion around it which is maybe um, in part due to some of the marketing or some of the industry to keep people a little bit behind the scenes. Um, fair trade is probably one that you'll see most often on coffee bags uh, and a lot of products now. And that is a great organization. It's a certification that um, the coffee producers have to purchase. And that is the limiting factor there. 
um, because I, I believe that's around 30,000 US dollars. That the people growing the coffee have to then produce. Yes. To trade yeah. fairly with them. To have the certification to trade. Um, and so that's like a limiting factor for sure on their side of things. Yeah. Um, but it does mean that the organizations that are buying the coffee are buying it at a certain level um, above what they call the C market, which is the commodity market. Okay. Um, so you can see how the futures trade of coffee if you went to um, the stock exchange. And so fair trade is kind of a certain percentage above this average number. Um, but it still doesn't usually meet the standards of living or even cost of production. So really? cost of production right now could be about $2.50 per pound green, not shipped to the States. And fair trade may only pay $2.20. Wow. So then coffee producers are losing 30 cents per pound they produce. So fair trade is better than the market rate, which may be only a dollar eighty. I think right now it's a dollar ninety, which is the highest it's been in a long time. Wow. Um, but so that's kind of the fair trade model. Then I would say above that you have direct trade. And there is a direct trade certification. Direct trade is more in understanding between the roaster, importer, exporter, and the producer. And that's not regulated as heavily. So you can see direct trade um, really put on anything. And it doesn't mean it's direct trade, but it could be a marketing thing. Interesting. Um, hopefully everyone has the heart and soul to, <laughs> to, to not lie to on, not their, packaging. Lie on yeah. their packaging about <laughs> it. Um, and that would go same with responsible sourcing um, or something like that or ethically sourced. Um, that's a big buzzword right now. Yeah, I think that's on our Thrive Coffee and I always wonder like it, how. Yeah, and you just wonder like what does that really mean? Exactly. Um, so we, we talk about um, relational coffee and we think that's the apex of specialty coffee and where all coffee should be going is mm. knowing the producers and even having a way for you to get connected. So on the back of our bag is a QR code and you're able to scan that, go to our website. And then most of the farmers that have social media, you can click on that and find their Facebook page or the farm's Instagram page or the farmer farmer's Instagram page. So we could be sitting here talking, sending them DMs saying like, Hey, we're like drinking your coffee right now. Mm. How is yield to work with? Like, what are they paying you? It, so that's kind of taking that's it awesome. and putting the power into everyone's hands. Cause that's what we want is really to help raise people out of poverty yeah. and help break this cycle, um, by giving them the economic means to make choices and have that freedom. Yeah. You're literally connecting the producer to the consumer, which is like something I'm so passionate about. And with coffee, it's so, because it's not really produced in the U S mm -hmm. and because it's like, people just don't really know a lot about it. You can find it in the hospital or at, at the hotel lobby, but like you can also spend $16 on a half pound of it. Like it's, it's a complex topic. So, um, that's super cool. And I, I know I love the relational coffee piece of it because, um, yeah, all of those other 
fun marketing terms or even certifications, right? You, you said they don't necessarily add up to like wages that can help support that family. Like they're, they're going to have to, to find other ways to support their family aside from their coffee. And it's like, when you have that relationship with them, you know you're already checking the economic box off, but now you're also like connecting them to people who are enjoying their product and how fulfilling that must be for them. Um, I'm also curious if, and this is probably a really dumb question, so don't laugh at it, but if the people um, that are producing the beans and shipping them to you, like are they big coffee drinkers? Are they roasting on their tabletops? Are they, is like coffee a deep part of their culture? I've I've never known the answer to this question, so. Oh, I, I love that, and I was surprised to learn when I was in Nicaragua um, and some of the travels in Tanzania was most coffee-producing countries, unfortunately, ship their best product out of the country because they get the highest price point for it, and so that just leaves very low-grade coffee in the country. Shoot. And so one of my favorite things is when we visit these coffee producers is taking back their beans that we've roasted in our packaging and then brewing it and sharing it with them. So that really completes the cycle. And there's been a few times where that has never happened yet, where the producer and some of the managers are like, wow, we've never had our own coffee before. Um, so that's, that's just a, a really special thing. It, it's becoming more common that at the farm level, they're having sample rows and diving more into the education side of things because yeah. they're able then in real time to get that data and think like, okay, if this crop did really well this year, how do we produce that next year? Um, this varietal did well at this plot. So how do we just keep that going? Uh, so a lot of that's happening. Some of it happens on our end where we're able to taste certain notes and then kind of relay that back to them and say like, hey, like this is what we're getting this year versus last year's crop. Um, these are maybe, not that we have the knowledge, but we can just pass on some of our, um, what we're actually tasting and what the, the consumer is going to taste as well to help them make a more informed decision on that. Yeah, I love that. Is there, uh, are there academic avenues for coffee training or is everyone just learning as they go? Yeah, there's a lot more improvement happening around education now in developing countries. But like even here in the States, like can people get certified to be a coffee connoisseur or is it just like I've had a lot of coffee and I'm, I don't know. Yeah. Um, There's nothing great out there, um, maybe apart from if you're really interested in coffee, talking to a local roaster Mm -hmm. and getting some behind the scenes and doing what's called a coffee cupping, which is almost like a wine tasting or anything like that, where you're you're trying various samples and they're walking you through where it's coming from, the notes you're supposed to taste. And so that kind of helps open your eyes and hopefully a little presentation of where the coffee's coming from. That's what you did, right, Joe? Yeah, something like that. It was, yeah, a bunch. It felt like exactly like he's saying, a wine tasting. It's almost like going to a vineyard. Was it fun? Yeah, I've never done fun. it. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. That's cool. I mean, Yield does cuppings, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll have to get over to Yield and do a cupping. And 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I would definitely suggest. And then if you're really into it, maybe barista training, and that can be a little bit more on the science side of things that's like related to espresso and how you extract coffee. Well, and, and coffee is a rabbit hole. You could get in, into it as much as you wanted to and it would never end I think that's why I like it so much like it reminds me of sourdough I'm pretty sure I reference sourdough on every single podcast so I'm <laughs> sorry but like it is one of those things it's a rabbit hole you there's no like real expert on it because I, it's it operates different in everyone's home like there's so many parallels here between coffee and sourdough um <laughs> you can make fun sourdough of is a, yeah, yeah got a name good. drop it so uh, curious if we want to get into like, because I don't know the different types of roasting. I don't really know what a light roast versus a darker medium means. So if you want to go into that a little bit, that I think that would be helpful. Yeah. So different roast levels will vary depending on the roaster and where you're getting the coffee from. So there's not an industry standard saying from this temperature, um, 400 degrees to 408 degrees is a light roast versus a medium versus a dark. So I'll explain our process. Um, and I do think that translates pretty well, but it's not a rigid set in stone. It's it, depending what company you're buying from, uh, their standards of light, medium, dark could be a little bit different than totally. ours. Yeah. Um, so it all, all has to do with where in the roast process you end the roast. And so, like I was saying earlier, we're going from room temperature, which is probably 70 degrees up to 404, which would be like the lightest roast we have, which is the Ethiopian. So, um, to our dark roast, which is old school dark roast, which is 428 degrees. So we have about 12 different coffees all within 404 to 428 degrees. Now, those are very specific temperatures, like yeah. 404. 404. Do you have yeah. like crazy thermometers that are like, oh, that's the temp? Yeah, yeah. So we have three different uh, thermometers inside the roasting machine. Wow. And so that's what's constantly being measured and graphed out on our computers. Interesting. And so we're able to see also the rate of rise. So it's just like uh, algebra class, really, solving for X. The chef in me wants to know, is, is there like, so when you take a steak off the grill, mm -hmm. I always tell people like, listen, it's not done cooking. It's still cooking. I, I yep. guess by, I'm wondering when you pull the beans out of the roasting machine, yep. um, do you, if you pull that 404, are they actually coming up to like 414? Like, or do you have to pull them like at 396 to get them to 404? Yeah, that's a great point. So there's with with pretty much every roasting machine there's a giant uh cooling tray oh, which okay. you think of like a almost like a jet fan or a jet engine sucking air through the coffee as the coffee's spinning around so you drop the coffee it falls into the cooling tray and a ton of airflow is sucking through it mm. and so it cools down the coffee from 404 degrees to room temperature in about a minute. Oh, so it's wow. a very quick process. And it's because of that. Because over. of that, because you don't want it to continue going. So um, the light roast is usually about 10 minutes to 11 minutes. Medium roast is about 11 to 1130. And at a temperature of 408 to about 420. Um, different origins, you're going to roast different ways to bring out their specific notes. And then dark roast is really anything for us, but beyond like 420. Um, and the, the lighter you go, you get more fruity notes, a little bit more um, acidity. Um, you bring out some of 
like the finer notes of, of coffee. Um, and then medium, you usually get a, a better body moving more towards chocolate and it's a little bit more balanced and then going towards dark. Um, you do bring out a little bit of bitterness, some of that body, um, and then more chocolate notes as well. And so we stop at 428. There's probably a lot of roasters that go to 440. Um, but to us, that's just a little bit too bitter and a little bit like you'll get oils on the outside of the bean. Um, so the like cellular structure expands and then oxygen could get in there. And so that actually goes, uh, stale more quickly as well. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it doesn't mean you're a coffee lover if you like light, medium or dark, it's just all about preference. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to say that you should drink coffee the way that you like to drink coffee. Yeah. I'm not going to try to say like, you can only drink light roast or medium <laughs> or dark, or if you don't like this Ethiopian natural coffee, you're not a coffee lover. Mm -hmm. It's like, this should be a, a beverage or a time that's special to you. Hopefully every day or every other day, whenever you consume coffee, if you do consume coffee, that is kind of like a little getaway. Yeah. If you will. Like you need five that's to awesome. 10 minutes yeah. and, you're intentional about this time. Uh, and so that's what I like to say is it's the is way there, that you like it. Is there a variance in caffeine at all? I, I don't know. Someday I was like, I think someone told me. And, and Light we, roast we has more caffeine, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Liz has it. Come on, that's a, Joe. that's a common, like everybody that, knows that, <laughs> that you think that dark, the darker it is the more caffeine. You would think yeah, it's yeah, stronger. Yeah. It's stronger. Yeah. yeah. But the lighter roast, because it's not as far in the process, mm. you haven't burnt off some of that caffeine. Um, and so, yeah, the lighter roast has a little bit more caffeine. It's, it's not, not so much. Okay. It's not, it's not enough that you should drink a light roast over medium roast because of caffeine. Okay. Now that we're talking about decaf, I want you to talk about what you shared earlier because you brewed a Chemex full of decaf and we were like, what method do you, you, you know, so talk about how in the world coffee is decaffeinated because for some of us at this table, <laughs> Joey okay. thought that maybe coffee is just grown and hybridized in a way to, uh, to use the example that I used, <laughs> I was envisioning like the coffee version of the seedless watermelon. Like it was grown decaffeinated. I don't know. No. It, yeah. Okay. But we, it's fine. I'm going to honor your curiosity. So will you please <laughs> inform us and let us know what that decaf process looks like? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm scared of cap, uh, decaf because decaf, yeah. harsh chemicals. Right. And, and there is something to that, but yeah. Yeah. Really. So the, the decaffeination method that we use and a lot of specialty um, coffee producers use is called ethyl acetate. So you might see that E dot A dot decaf, something like that. So ethyl acetate, which is a naturally occurring sugar, um, acid found in a lot of fruit. Um, I think mostly they use tomatoes for this process. Um, but after it's harvested, it's milled. Um, so we're getting it from Columbia, from Shadi and Elias. Um, they'll ship it to a small plant in Monterey, Mexico. And at this plant, they'll soak the beans in a little bit of hot water to help open up the pores. Mm -hmm. And then they'll add this natural um, ethyl acetate, the sugar to the water, and it pulls out the caffeine. Um, and I don't know the science behind that, but it pulls out the caffeine while leaving everything else. 
and then osmosis i assume right like yeah yeah that seems yeah. right to yeah me. that seems right <laughs> looking at me I, I see this water on over here i don't know <laughs> you know you create the thing that is is deficient on the inside so mm -hmm. that it balances it, it reaches it equilibrium it out. yeah right and yeah. did i am yeah. i the only one that took science class people okay whatever i'll have to look i don't it up. know <laughs> So somehow this, Sounds right. this Sounds good. sugary, oh, eth ethanol, uh, ethyl acetate, ethyl. Okay. Cause I was going to say ethanol is like alcohol. We're getting off tangent. Somehow the sugary tomato water yeah. extracts just the caffeine, just the caffeine. And then that caffeine can then be sold or utilized by a monster energy or Coca-Cola, something like that. It's um, weird. And, and what, and what, what, um, form it, it does caffeine take? Caffeine takes a white powdery substance. So it's just a solid, just white a solid powder. white powder. Yeah. So it's it's something interesting to look up or Google real quick because if you've never thought about what caffeine looked like, it's I'm really interesting. It um, so this is the most natural way of decaffeinating coffee. So using a natural sugar, pulling it out. <laughs> It's literally just a pile of white powder. <laughs> that's really not very specific. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Keep going. Yeah. Um, and so it pulls out the caffeine, and then the beans come to us just like any other coffee um, would. Uh, and we roast it a little bit differently. Um, since those pores were open up, they do now take heat on a little bit more quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more delicate for us in the roasting process. Uh, but my wife and I drink decaf every day. And so that's why I think our decaf is really good because it's not a throwaway product to us. Yeah. It's something that we, she drinks half calf throughout her day. And then we both switch to straight decaf at two o'clock. Mm. Uh, Cause even though I've been doing specialty coffee for seven years, <laughs> and drink two to three cups a day, I'm still caffeine sensitive. Yeah. So I don't have that superpower of drinking any coffee I want and then going right to bed. Sure. Is that a superpower? I'm not even sure. I feel like that's, It yeah. depends if I'm doing a workout, right? If, yeah. I, if I drink a little bit of caffeine, I go work out, I can get to sleep. If I just drink some caffeine. And you're wired. There are people that are, that are like that. So I know a lot of people that can just drink some caffeine like mm -hmm. as they're going to bed. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, as if it's soothing tea, <laughs> yeah, yeah, preparing yeah. you for your sleepy time. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, so I'm glad you said that because, you know, I, I was always like, oh, the Swiss, the Swiss water method of decaffeinating is the most um, natural thing. But you're giving us an alternative to that. And as you shared earlier, the Swiss water method is because it's just water, right? Mm -hmm does that same process of pulling out the caffeine out of the bean, but it has some downfalls. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a, a reasonably newer method and it's been around and, and it has some good marketing behind it. And it's still a good, um, good process. I think ethyl acetate is, is better on the environmental side. So Swiss water uses a lot of water, um, which is always a limiting factor. And then the downside of it, is there's been a lot of environmental studies of wastewater runoff from coffee um, because of some of the acids that are found in coffee will go downstream and kill some of the vegetation and the biodiversity. So um, Swiss water, is, there's a lot of positives and then there's some negatives to it as well. Yeah. Um, so if you have a choice, I would say ethyl acetate is the better route to go. Yeah, that's fascinating and uh, super helpful because I think sometimes people can get 
um, like sort of pigeonhole their idea of like, well, this is the best because it produces the best outcome without seeing the full picture of like, okay, but what about the farmer, the producer, the community or the water usage? So that's helpful. Well, also just the the term of ethyl acetate Mm -hmm. um, is can be scary to it people. Can be scary. I don't yeah, know what that is. Yeah, if you yeah. said, "Hey, um, I, I, put, I went ahead and put some ethyl acetate into In this, this coffee," coffee. I'd yeah. be like, hmm, "Maybe not on this one." <laughs> but like Swiss water, right? It's yeah. like Switzerland water. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're, it's so true. Yeah. You think it's a very You're clean so and environmentally exactly. friendly process? Yeah. On the last yeah. podcast, we talked about raw dairy, and we're like, "You call it raw dairy? It of course, you don't want to drink good. that. That mm-hmm. sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. You don't call sushi raw fish and rice, right?" <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, no, I think that's totally valid. I'm glad that we talked about that. Um, I want to hear, um, if you're willing to share, I would love to hear sort of like your vision for yield. Um, And I know you touched on this a little bit, but just currently and and what sort of like drives your current coffee passion aside from what you've already shared. And I also want to know how you like your coffee best. Like what are some mm. of your favorite methods? Because I'm always shocked how often I like share a photo of our Chemex and people are like, wow, what is that carafe? And I'm yeah, like, does yeah. not, no one, there are people out there that don't know what, <laughs> what a Chemex, Chemex is. is. Yeah. Let, so let's start with the coffee and then we'll, we'll jump into the, the, the mission vision. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's Chemex for me as well. Okay. Um, so that's awesome that you guys feel the same way. Yeah, that's um, all we have. We don't even have a regular coffee maker. Yeah, Chemex. Yeah, so Chemex is nice because it makes it intentional. Um, so you can't just hit a button and walk away. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, and so every morning it's like this ritual that I have and I usually prepare it for my wife as well. And so it's kind of this like, okay, this is how we're starting our day. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone has the luxury of like a slower morning, but this kind of helps us. You do if you wake us. up early enough. Yeah, that is true. Everyone can wake <laughs> up at 4.30 if they want to. Just putting that out there. Because I'm kind of sick of the whole like, I don't have time before work. Wake up at 4.30 or 5. I also get sleep. It's good to have sleep. I'm just saying, I'm going to encourage people to wake up earlier. So, so continue. Yeah, yeah. So we get up before our son gets up so we can have a uh, exactly. together. Um, so that's my favorite method. It gives you a lot of control and brewing variables, which sounds like, nerdy but it does make a difference um, so even the same coffee you can really highlight different notes if your water temperatures from 204 degrees to 210 degrees oh what temp are you, or what temp um, are you using? usually 208 degrees shoot we've been doing like 194 yeah and then yeah. my coffee's never hot enough because then low. you're like not extracting everything that you need to what okay so joey got me a two, really two switches we're making one is hotter water, and two, uh, we definitely need to start just getting yield coffee. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know That's why we like, coffee for the like last week. we've been talking. You this guys whole have been time. friends for a while. Yeah. It's just like um, it's so funny because before this podcast, I was looking up their website. I was like, dude, they ship it to your door, oh. and I was like, I don't know why it just wasn't something that I was thinking about. We'll Here talk I more. Am We're gonna talk about more it. about that later. But you know, everyone can get some yield coffee. We're definitely gonna get some yield. Okay, so two, what, remind me again. Yeah, so really between 204 degrees and 210 degrees. Writing that down. Um, if you have a light roasted coffee, you want a higher brew temp. Okay. Um, because you need to kind of open it up a little bit more and pull out some of those sugars and some more of those acids that make the light roast the light roast. Because it's been roasted for shorter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then a darker roast would be more on the 200 and four degree water temp because it doesn't need that extra boost. So it's already kind of sitting there for you to extract. Um, and then the other variable is how quickly does 
the water go through the coffee grounds. Mm. Um, so I like to think of it as saying like water passing through sand, um, is very, very slow water passing through gravel is very quick. And so if your coffee grounds are too fine, then it's not going to go through quick enough and you're going to over extract mm-hmm. and it's just not going to be puddles up in there. It puddles up in there and then your end result isn't going to be great. So yeah. if that's happening, your grind needs to be more coarse. So okay. bigger chunks. And if it's too coarse, the water is going to pass through too quickly yeah. and not open up the coffee and mm. pull it out. So you really, if you have a scale and a timer, again, this is a little bit nerdy, so you don't have to do this, but if you do this, it will produce a better cup. So you're looking for about three and a half minutes to four minutes for your total brew time. So when you start pouring water to when you finish dripping from the filter should be about three and a half to four minutes. And does that matter how, depending on how much coffee you're making? Um, it's usually pretty standard for the Chemex that you're starting. Um, with like a six about, cupper. A six okay. cup. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and your ratio coffee to water ratio, I think we try to do a one to 15. You said you also try to do. Yeah. So there's an organization called SCA, which is specialty coffee association of America. And their golden ratio is called, um, is between one to one fifteen, uh, and then one to 18. So that means for every gram of coffee, you're going to pour 15 grams or MLs of water on the stronger side and then a one to 18 ratio is one gram of coffee to 18 grams or mls of water Mm. um again that's kind of getting nerdy with it um but if you want really good coffee that's what we want that's what we want it's there for the making i love that and i love the part uh, you've glossed over it twice now so i kind of want to talk about it for just a minute but coffee is one of those special beverages that's like it can either be such a cheap, quick, fast drive through thing, or it can be like a, an intentional part of your day. And I know Joey and I, like we have coffee every morning together. Um, when I go and hang out with friends, like I'm usually meeting them for a cup of coffee or when I like go over to my mom's house to hang out at her counter, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a piece of this, especially the specialty coffee part where we're you can literally scan a code on the back of the bag and see your farmer as you're consuming the coffee. To me, that's just like taking the intentionality one step further. But, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to call out that, that coffee can, can be this like really special communal thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's super cool. And like, I'm not meeting up people for like a soda. I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's this really beautiful thing that, that I think connects people. And so anytime we can connect over food or drink, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. And I, and I do think that plays into the relational coffee that we talk about. So when we first started, that was more on the coffee producer to the end consumer route, but it's really taken on a whole meaning of every single person in the process Yeah. and the supply chain of getting to know them and their story and how can we impact it? Um, in a positive manner. And then what keeps us going isn't necessarily coffee and the taste of coffee, though I'm the biggest coffee lover you may ever meet. Uh, What keeps us going is the relationships that form around coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is this thing that at least I grew up, um, this was a very special moment for us and it brought family around and 
throughout travels you you partake in different coffee ceremonies and and it's just really neat to see that it's a global beverage and it really does bring people together you start your day off with it um and so that's what keeps yield going it's not that we the coffee is anything super special though it is really special is the people behind the coffee that get us out of bed and and make this company work and motivate us to continually do better um so we can serve them better yeah i love that that's awesome yeah i think um and I'm, I'm guessing you're getting into the midst of the mission and, and the vision of it but uh what, what what do you where do you see yield um going what, what, do, you, what do you want you've, you've taken it this far i mean from from the first couple of batches uh you know out in the barn or, or wherever you were with those first couple <laughs> yeah, batches yeah. um to uh to now um you know buying you know loads of coffee meeting with different farmers and um you know wh- where do you see yield going next yeah so we just continually try to push and cultivate relationships and see what is the most impactful thing that we can do. So that's our vision is, is to be the most impactful um, specialty coffee company in the world. So that's awesome. where we're going. Obviously, that's a bit um, bit of a big goal, yeah. uh, audacious, but it is like that's what we're chasing after is to be the most impactful specialty coffee company. Um, so what does that look like? Um, someone described love once to me and they said, love is simply seeing a need and meeting a need. Mm. And I think that's how we want to present our company as well is, um, where there's a need, we want to be the ones to show up. Not so that we pat ourselves on the back, but if there's a need, I want to be the one to give everything that I have to make the world a better place. If someone's hurting, I can do something about it. And so that's really what Yield was born out of and hopefully what will continue to be is there's needs in the world that are going unmet. Mm -hmm. And maybe, just maybe through coffee, through a lot of intentionality, through some luck and through some crazy adventures, we, we all collectively get to play a role in making someone's life more whole. Um, and so that's kind of where we're headed. How, how we, how do we do that is by contracting more coffee, um, having more coffee come through our hands and out to our customers, having a good base, um, so that we're able to be at origin more often, um, and connecting farmers, uh, with their end, um, consumers as well. Cause that's encouraging them to them to say like, Oh wow. Like this coffee shop is serving my coffee. Um, these people in New Jersey are drinking my coffee or California, um, and it's on their, their dining room table every morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for them to see that is super transformational. We're doing a lot on the educational side. So we were doing, um, a lot of work in Uganda with sanitation. And so that's kind of playing a little bit into my nursing background of, um, a lot of children, a lot of elderly are immunocompromised. And so what are some easy, maybe not easy, but simple interventions that we can do. And the, f- the flushing toilet is probably the best medical invention yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, and so we've been able to provide um, lots of sanitation in Uganda, um, solar panels for water pumps there as well at a small school. So there's 350 students that are now 
going through different training programs that we're helping to facilitate. We've built modern bathrooms in Nicaragua. um, And so those have a flushing toilet, a hand-washing sink, a shower, and it's partnering with local communities and local people taking action to really um, boost their outcomes and have these uh, responsibilities that they take on and we're just helping be their cheerleaders and providing some financial support um, and helping tell their stories. Um, that's really like I think how we're going to impact the world is one person at a time and one community at a time and mm-hmm. hopefully that just continues to spread. Yeah and you're you're equipping these communities to then be able to sus- sustain themselves you know and I love that because you're not just coming in and providing a crutch you're building infrastructure for them to benefit for generations and building it their way right yeah because yeah it's so easy to, to walk into a situation and say hey we're going to build you an infrastructure yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's we did it this way in our country counter-cultural mm-hmm. how they operate and, it, and we've seen it time and time again that, that yeah. doesn't work yeah and I think going in and saying hey you know let's talk about what works for you guys let's improve those systems yeah I think it's yeah. awesome so, um, I, that, that was the end of my questions that I had specifically for Derek. Cool. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get Derek on his way. Yeah. And with that, uh, Derek has left the building. We kicked him out. We kicked him out. He's like, <laughs> no, 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 we love Derek. Um, what an awesome conversation. I feel like some of the major things I learned aside from the fact that we've been putting ice water over our coffee. Yeah. What time, in the world? I think I Googled it and it was like, Anything above 200 will burn. Obviously, Google is not a reputable no, source I, Derek, for anything in yeah, life. I trust Eric way too. more than I trust, uh, <laughs> trust uh, Google. So, um, Also interesting that there is some coffee places in America that... Um, well, there's one, he it, said, in, it, in California. It's kind of sketchy sounding. Yeah, it didn't sound like it was high quality. It almost sounded like they were trying to force the growing situation in the small, like the most ideal climate. And, you know, it's just, it's Okay. Right on. Well, um, I, I know that there was there was a lot of reasons why we wanted to do this this episode. Um, do, do you feel like you know interest on in your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I was taking notes the whole time because I'm like, man, I'm learning a lot. I I just I think coffee can be one of those topics. It's like wheat, right? Where there's a lot of emotion behind it. There's a lot of opinion. Should we consume it? Should we not? Where does it even come from? How is it grown? What part of the plant are we actually eating? These are things people just don't know about wheat, coffee. I mean, the list could go on and on. And so with um, yield being local to us, having um, used their coffee in our home and in our businesses before, having known Derek um, and his person and his character and his company, I just was like, this is a no-brainer to bring on, first of all, as a guest on the Homegrown Podcast. But just to open that conversation, because not only does he produce incredible coffee, but he is so intentional about his relationships with these farmers and these producers yeah. and at every step of the way. And my goodness, him taking his roasted coffee back and enjoying that end product. That was huge. I mean, I wanted to cry. That's so cool. Can you imagine that you're you're in this business and... What did he say that plants last last thirty to fifty years? They can produce. Yeah, the trees. Imagine the generations that have been doing this. Oh yeah. To even know that. Yeah. First and foremost, and the fact that they're constantly replanting so they don't have all their crops go at one year. I mean. Exactly. Uh, um, and 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 to be shipping all of your beans out, and there's some people that have never tasted it. Right. And then he's 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 branding these bags, which are beautiful, by the way, and <laughs> he's 
bringing these bags of their coffee to them to share with them. Yeah, that was, um, that was awesome. Yeah. That was really cool. It brings it full circle. And so I, I'm super thankful for the conversation we just had with Derek because he hit on exactly what I wanted him to hit on. I, I think oftentimes there's so much hype around different topics, right? And there's so much confusion. And you know what? You just have to go straight to the source. Like something that Joey and I are learning over and over again through these last like five or six years on our real food journey is there's a lot of information out there. Some of it's accurate. Some of it's not. The best way to learn is to go to the source, right? Derek's going to his growers. He is the source for us. He's our closest touch point to the coffee um, that's sitting right here on the table in front of us because he literally owns and operates this company, right? Um, when we have questions about other other food that we're eating, we go ask the source. And so if this is an encouragement to anyone, um, pursue your food producer. Yeah. Ask some questions form a relationship and engage in this relational coffee because uh, the specialty coffee sector is so um, unique in its um, sort of pioneering effort to like reconnect us to the root of coffee. And that's why I like it. So super excited. We're for sure going to be replacing all of our standard coffee with yield coffee in the future. Um, and actually Derek is giving every one of the listeners today, um, a 20% discount off of all coffee and merchandise. The cups that we're drinking out of right now are super cute. I, mean, I think he's giving the whole homegrown community. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you just have to use the word homegrown. All underscore, uh, underscore? Lower. Lowercase. Lowercase, not underscored. Homegrown, all lowercase, um, to get 20% off of that yield coffee. And honestly, he's just generously giving us that. And I cannot imagine why you wouldn't at least want to taste it or try it and after this story he just told it makes me feel like i'm impacting not just derek but these these unique farmers uh in different corners of the world uh get some get some yield coffee get some merch it's it's all going to be in that 20 percent off code um this stuff is is fantastic we just we just had some i've been drinking it i've been friends with derek for a while and um you know it was something where you know elizabeth and i were just talking about it we were like yeah, we got to get Derek on here. We got to up our coffee game. We got to figure out, uh, learn more about what we're doing uh, because coffee has been a mi- very meaningful thing for us. Yeah. And so uh, uh, get after it. Get, get, go to, where, where, are we, where are we sending people? Uh, you can go to Yield Coffee. That's Y-I-E-L-D coffee.com. Uh, you can also find them on Instagram at just at Yield Coffee. And uh, they have, they're pretty active on their Instagram account. And I encourage you to connect with them. DM them, say hi. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Buy some yield coffee and then and then use the QR code and and also reach out to the oh farmers. Oh gosh, yes, meet the farmers. I, like quite frankly, I want people to reach out to the farmers, um, and uh, um, show us. Yeah, I, I would love to see tag us if to you see do. that. Tag us if you if you if you start connecting with farmers. Um, can you tag somebody in something like that? Uh, if you share it on your story, you can tag us. We can see. Totally get you it. You can take a screenshot and that make a post sense. of it. That makes sense. People are tech savvy. They know these things. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot to learn. Yeah. Right on. And um, hey, just just to wrap up this podcast, um, you know, we we love pursuing our foods, our drinks. Um, we're on this journey, on this path to uh, to better the foods that we eat and drink every day. And you know, we want to encourage people that if you're on this path with us uh, to do a number of things. But first and foremost, if, if, if you're on the journey, you want to keep learning, uh, keep listening to this podcast. It's, it's free. We're here to 
uh, bring experts like like Derek on to talk about uh, products that we use every day and how we can best choose products that that um, uh, are best for us and best for the world, people mm-hmm. around us. Uh, it's huge. Um, we have other episodes you can check out uh, about um, kitchen, you know, kitchen utensils and which ones not to use, and and uh, all the way to raw dairy. So it's a variety pack. It's a variety here. pack here. <laughs> Um, but beyond that, we also know that this the, the journey can be challenging. And so we've created some resources and some tools to help making it um, more reachable, a little bit easier, you know, if, if, if you will. Um, Honestly, these are resources we created for our own family, and we're just passing them on to other people is how I like to best explain it. So, you know, if you're new around here and you've never um, connected with us, connect with us on Instagram at homegrowneducation.org and at Joey Hazelmeyer, the one and only. The one and only. And uh, you'll, f- you'll quickly find out we have three resources, right? We, we're passionate about equipping the next generation when it comes to accurate nutrition information. So we've created um, two sort of curriculum, you know, educational resources, one for early elementary and one for that uh, upper elementary middle school age. So because that's the, the ages of our own kids, we, we made these resources for them and um, to open up the conversation about what is our food and where does it come from and, you know, how does it impact our environment and our economy and how, how can we care and be active participants in um, supporting people who are doing the right thing. So that and then I know, Joey, your, your one and only favorite is our what's for dinner meal plan, which honestly was your brainchild because you walked in the door and said, what's for dinner? And then I got mad at you. And you said, you know what? You got to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be 42 uh, nightly meals already prepped for you of six weeks worth of food. All real food based shopping lists. Recipes. Um, I mean, it's 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 good to go. I mean, you're you're you're, you're going to. It's everything a cookbook should be. I take don't know. the take the pain out of the planning of your your meals coming up, especially exactly. when you're making them from scratch. And I mean, even coming up with a shopping list can be challenging. Exactly. And uh, you know, we did all that for you. So. And it. honestly, something I felt so hard today when I went grocery shopping, um, this this meal plan really utilizes the same produce like throughout the week. So you're not buying like 18 different things. You mm. might be buying. Um, a smaller amount, but a larger quantity because you're reusing these things. And right now with food costs, I mean, it's so much simpler to pare down what you're actually buying. And I found that that's an easy way for me to cut down on my food costs. So that's one little added benefit. Right on. So get on to homegrowneducation.org and you can find those resources, those books, um, to get your kids on the path uh, towards a better understanding of nutrition with the children's curriculums both the pre-k the elementary version and also the fourth through sixth grade um you know level one um get what's for dinner get the real food guide get yourself on the path so that you can have a better understanding of real food um, and finally um get some yield coffee mm-hmm. go yeah. to their website buy some yield coffee get it delivered straight to your door they if ship- you're a coffee drinker they ship uh u.s mm-hmm. all, all across the country nationwide um uh get, get after it. it's it's um good stuff so with that um until next time until next time